Welcome to the Anchored in Christ podcast. This is a place where we want to help young people draw closer to God and in doing so develop the confidence to take ownership of their journey, goals and purpose through biblical teachings and conversations. Our facilitator will be Ria Mudao and each episode she will be bringing you lessons on the Bible chapter by chapter from Genesis to Revelation. Our goal is to help you maintain or build your connection with God through His written word and to remind you of His character, His promises and your future together with Him. Thank you so much for pressing play today. Please don't forget to follow and share as this will help us grow our audience. Now let us begin. Of the Bible you're reading you will get different ones, different names and all of that. But, you know, burnt is the one that stays the same. But you will find different names of what the offerings were, depending on the vision. And when you go on to the next slide, I put in a summary of all the offerings. And if, if you have a photogenic memory, try and grab that picture. Um, because But we did share the slides on the group. But that picture gives you all the offerings and how it links to Christ. That's why there's a cross in the, in, the, in the middle because everything, everything in the Bible links to Christ. And the burnt offering, when you read the gospel of John, if you put the, the burnt offering in your mind, because the burnt offering had to do with us, with them, sorry, um, giving up their lives to God, saying, God, I've done this. Um, I want you to forgive me, but I want to belong to you. That was all that the burnt offering was for. When you read the Gospel of John, you get a flavor of the of the burnt the burnt offering. When you read the Gospel of Mark, you will get a flavor of the sin offering. When you read Psalm 16, you will get a flavor of the meal offering. And when you read the whole Gospel of Matthew, you will get a flavor of the trespass offering. And when you read um, Luke's Gospel, you get the peace offering. It's all about you know fellowship. You know f- fellowship with each other as, as Christians. So that picture will help you understand. I mean, it, 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 it does look complicated, but it will show you that which one was voluntary. The bent offering, it was a choice, which is applicable today. You are not forced to offer your life, but when you do, there are certain things that you need to do. There are offerings which were not voluntary, which were mandatory. The sin offering was, it was not by choice. It had to be done. So you just it, it's, it's just a summary if you ever want to understand or go back just go back to this picture and it will give you an idea and as you go on to the next slide um i i brought back the picture of the tabernacle because i want you to understand where was this thing happening we studied the tabernacle from from the entrance and everything in it but the bent offering happened at um the first piece of furniture that they found when they entered the tabernacle, or I'll say the temple, but that was the first thing that they found. It's noted as the altar of burnt offering. All offerings happened there, except the offering, which we are going to study in chapter 16, which is atonement, which happened in the Holy of Holies. But all offerings happened there. And I like that they even write their way um, on the slide because it is a way to getting closer to God. It is, it is a way to being accepted by God because you need to let go of, of certain things. So I usually call it the grill, um, you know, that big bright stand where, you know, every bulls and things were killed and burned. It is where it happened in the tabernacle. And obviously it, it will change. The structure remained, 
when Solomon built the temple, the structure remained exactly as is, but it was no longer movable pieces like they had in Exodus and all the way until they get to, first, to Kings. And as you go on to the next slide, we start with chapter one, um, which is the burnt offering. So the book opens with, and he called, because what we see in Exodus, the last book of Exodus is Moses not being able to enter the tabernacle. The Bible says that he, there was just a cloud, and he, a cloud and he couldn't enter. So Exodus actually leaves us hanging. Like Moses has built this beautiful thing and now he can't go in. How is all this going to happen? And Leviticus actually opens with God saying, saying and he called. He called him into the tabernacle and he starts speaking to him and telling him what is to happen and how all this is going to happen. And I have mentioned that God is the direct speaker on almost every page when you read the book of Leviticus. It's God saying, Moses, God saying, I want this. God saying, I want them to do it this way. So it, it does actually give you the character of God. And I noted the book of Romans 15 verse 4, but there's a book that I didn't know, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. Um, where, you know, he says exactly the same thing for whatever things are, everything that is written in the Bible, there is nothing that is just there because we must know what they used to do before we got Christ. There is nothing that is just written to take up pages and pages. Everything that is written is for our learning. We, we learn from it. And second, second Timothy even broadens the statement to say, you know, we, we, the Bible is there to teach us how to do life. And, and this is me trying to advocate for people to go back and read the book of Leviticus as much as it looks like, yeah, what am I getting out of it? But everything that you find in the Bible, it can be a number. I always say, even when there's a name, there are places where God does not worry about names, but when God goes and gives detail, then there's something there. There's something that he's trying to teach. And, and the book of Leviticus is, what, is one of them. And with chapter, I noted, next slide, I noticed that um, one of the key verses in this book is Leviticus 17 verse 11. And that is because, um, especially when we are studying this part of the work, um, that is because that, that, that scripture says, for the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. A lot of people ask, but you know, why did, why did they have to kill animals? They, there is just something about blood, even Christ, um, we hang on to the blood, that the blood is what saved us. And that, that same principle applied, that same principle applied, that there had to be something had to die. Even though the book of Hebrews does explain to us, and I noted Hebrews 9 verse 22 there, it, it says that the, the blood, the shedding, with the shedding of the blood, there was no, it did not cleanse them in, in, in you know, the entirety. It did not remove the sin. It did forgive because there are certain books where you re read that the, the sins were forgiven, but it did not really cleanse them. Like, you know, but they, they, they had to be a dying of an animal. And, and Hebrews 10 verse 11. And I just want to say before I, I, I move on here, you cannot or you will struggle to understand the book of Hebrews if you have not really understood the book of Leviticus. It, it is very hard because the, the book of Hebrews 
links so much to these laws. It talks about you know, the tabernacle, the offerings. It talks about, even though it talks about the high priest, but if you do not understand who the high priest was, what the requirements were for you know, the high priest and the atonement, you just end up getting the last bit of it, which is, you know, we, now we're talking about Christ. But when you read the book of, of, of Hebrews and, and match it to Leviticus, you'll find that a lot of things really link. And in the book of Hebrews 10 verse 4, it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take the sins away. The sins were forgiven, but they were not taken away. They, there was still something that had to be done, and which is why, which is what um, Christ Christ did for us. So the 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 verse seventeen verse eleven it makes it clear that they, they needed to be blood. They needed to be the sharing of blood. Um, and when you go on to the next slide, it is very small. I think I hope people can see this. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think it's very small. Uh, so with the bent offering, the bent offering is not new. Um, when we read the book of Genesis, when we read from the book of Genesis, we find that the, the first person that did a bent offering was Abel, Abel and Cain. They gave an offering to worship God. It is not, it is one of the offerings which it's not the first time we see the offering in the Bible. It was mentioned before, but I think in this part of the book, God was sort of making it a law that everyone needs to do it, even though it was not voluntary, but it was not forced. It was voluntary, but, you know, it was, it shows that God was just making it official in a way. In the book of Genesis 8 verse 20, we see Noah after, after they left um, the ark or the ship or whatever um, that he had built, after they leave, the first thing that he does, the Bible says that he, he, he made a bent offering to God. The best one that I like, because I think it, it was God giving a, a picture of what it's going to be like in the future. It's the book of Genesis 22, verse 13. And this is when Abraham was going to offer his son, Isaac. The Bible says that it, it was supposed to be a burnt offering, but God gave a lamb as a substitute for Isaac. And it, it is a clear picture of what we see in the New Testament, even though it was happening in, in the Old Testament. So it was not voluntary. It was an offering that was done by those that wanted to approach God. Um, and and it, they, it had to be voluntary. And the purpose was to satisfy God. When you read, when you keep on reading chapter one, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to go through um, the detail like we do with other books because Leviticus is, is sort of, you know, around, um, do this, do this, do that. I will try and explain the principle of what, what it was about, but not go into the details. So the, the book itself, sorry, the offering itself, um, in, in Hebrew, it's called Ola. You'll find it, it's, it's, a, it's a word that is used commonly. It means to ascend. So the Bible says that when that offering was done, it ascended, the smoke ascended and God took pleasure. God took pleasure in whatever was, was being given or was being offered to him. And I've already mentioned that it had to involve death, um, but it was not everything that was accepted. They were um, parameters of God, what God wanted. So it had to be an animal of the, of, of the head of a cattle or a flock, which is a sheep or a goat. Um, there were animals that were excluded there. You couldn't bring an animal 
that a carnivore, animals that live by the death of other animals were not allowed. They could never typify Christ. Another restriction was that the animal had to be clean and it had to be, I found this very interesting. The animal had to be domesticated. And when you try study why it was, as if God was saying that you, you must offer something that is of your own. It's not, I don't just get an animal somewhere and I say, this is my offering. It must have been something that was domesticated. And the other restriction was that the animal had to be obedient. The animal had to be obedient. So it was voluntary will. And was, as you move on to the next slide, it was voluntary will. And, and it speaks to our worship. It speaks to the sacrifice of our, when we sacrifice ourselves, it, it has to be out of your own will. It, no one can do it on your behalf. No one can do it on your behalf. So it was to atone for, for wrongdoings, but it was also to put yourself as a sacrifice, which Christ did on our behalf. But again, Christ does say, or Paul does say, we were saved for free, but we're saved for work. So we're still expected to preserve, you know, the holiness of, of the sacrifice that happened. There was only one door and it, it had to be done in public. It was done publicly. And that is the same with us when we offer our lives to Christ. It had to be done in public. You had to take the animal and put it by the gate. You saw exactly where it was, everyone seeing it and the animal was slain in public. The other interesting fact about a bent offering, the priest did not kill it for you. You were involved in the killing. You were involved. The only thing the priest did was to take the blood, was to take the blood and put it on the horns and sprinkle it. And it, obviously it depends on what offering it is, but you were involved. The whole act of, of the killing and the offering, it, it was you that was involved. Another interesting act that I find is the pieces, you know, with the bent offering, it, the, the, the animal had to be cut in, diff, in pieces and it had to be placed um, on, the, on the altar, on the altar to burn everything. But the rule was everything had to be burnt. Nothing was left when the burnt offering was done. And that speaks to us when we offer our lives to Christ. Everything goes. You don't hold on to certain things everything goes. And, and that is the principle as well. Everything had to go. And the book of 10, I'm, I, I noted the book of Matthew 10 verse 28, where Christ says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Everything was given. There was nothing left. You, you had to offer the whole of you. It was all or nothing in, in today's language. It was it was all or nothing. And the, the last thing that I noted there was that uh, poverty was no excuse. Poverty was no excuse where you will see it, it starts saying that for that, if you did not have a, a cattle or a herd, uh, from a herd, a sheep, a goat, if you did not have all, all of those, there was, you could bring a bird. There were birds, there, there were things that were put in place that you could and you could bring a bed and that that is what was going to be sacrificed on your behalf and when you read the new testament you find that um joseph and mary um they 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 took um a bed to the temple as a sacrifice 
when Christ was born. Um, and I'm sure it was them sacrificing then. But I you know one thing that hit me when I, I was reading that, I thought, how, how God works, like he takes people that cannot even afford the, the right, I'll call it right, the right sacrifice. And, and he gives to them, you know, the king of kings. And they were following all these things, humble as they were, taking the pigeon to church. And everyone probably looking at them saying they can't afford uh, to bring a kettle as an offering, you know, of saying, God, we, we are happy with what you've given to us and we're offering ourselves. And they took a pigeon to church, um, to the tabernacle um, to, to offer, you know, a sacrifice when Christ was born. And as you go on to the next slide, um, the, the rule there was that the fire was not allowed to go down. It had to keep on burning. As long as the tabernacle was set up, as long as the rule was the priests must make sure that the fire burns continually. And that is the sacrifice that we make with our God. Like every day, wake up and remind yourself that I am, I am deciding again to take this up because when the fire goes down, a lot of things go wrong. And the, the Bible keeps on mentioning it so many times, you know, the, the fire, the fire shall never go out. The fire shall never go out. The priests had to make sure that it was never ex extinguished. You know, there was, there was also a changing. There was a changing of the garments there because the Bible says that the, the priests would do the burning. And when they were done with the burning before they, they, they went and, um, throw away the ashes or whatever came out of it, they had to change. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a constant reminder. They had to change the clothes and wear certain types of clothes because now, you know, it's, it's cleaner. Whatever act they're going to be doing is cleaner. And it's a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder that sin pollutes the body. It pollutes the body. As much as we cannot, um, uh, you know, change whatever body, but... We, we are covered by Christ, but there's constant cleaning, you know, it can be confessing and whatnot, but there's constant cleaning of, of this to ensure that, to ensure that the body is, you know, is clean and presentable in front of God. So the bent offering was not, it was not, it was not occasional. Once the decision was made to follow God, the fire had to keep on burning. And each morning we have, we must make a decision to follow God again. We need to understand God's heart and how he thinks. And, and you will pick up the principles from, from this, that you know, Leviticus gives you the, the essential. Because all this that we are reading, as much as we're reading about bulls and all that, the principle remains. That is what God wants from us when we offer ourselves as, as you know, a living sacrifice to him. And when we offer something to God, it must be something that he wants, not what we want. We, we have a tendency. Uh, to say, but I prayed, I, I did it my way, but is it what he wants? Because it, he was very clear on, this is what I want. This is when I want it. It must be the Sabbath. It must be that. You need to do this on that day. And, and we tend to let go of those things and we say, but I did it. So worship is, is it's not always acceptable. And you will see when we go, um, actually, we don't even have to go forward. Abel and Cain. Abel was accepted. Cain was not accepted. So right from the beginning, God made it clear that some offerings I will not accept. 
some offerings I will just not accept because it's not what I want. And as you go on to the next slide, you'll see, I just mentioned the things that had to, to happen. And this is what you find in chapter six, the, the process of it, the presentation, you presented it, uh, you laid your hand on the, on the animal as a, as a way of a sacrifice, you know, and the changing. Um, you killed the animal yourself, and then the priest would come and kill and, and sprinkle the blood and do the burning. And there was a sacrificial meal, but it did, it did not go with all the offerings. So as you look at the right at the bottom, I noted are all offerings pleasing to God? And the answer is no. Not all offerings are pleasing to God. It, it has to do with what God prefers and what he likes. He does not give us reasons of why he wants it that way, but that's, that's the way God is. And I noted quite a number of, of verses there that show, you know, that God chooses in the book of Amos, he makes it very clear that I, I despise, I despise this offerings because I still don't have you, you, you are still not my people. So there's no need for you guys to come and do the offerings. In the book of Hosea, he says the same thing. He even says, I even now start despising the Sabbath, the holy day. He said, all this worship that you're giving to me on this day, it's not what I want because you're not giving me your heart. So it must consume the whole of you. And that is the end of chapter one. And as we move on, the next slide is actually um, a summary of, um, or a picture, let me say, of a bent offering, what you could bring a bull, a ram, or a goat. And if you did not have money or you were poor, you did not have an excuse not to offer your life um, as a living sacrifice. You, you, you had to bring whatever you had um, to the presence of God. And as you go on to the next slide, um, we go into chapter two of Leviticus, which is actually the grain or the meal offering. So the grain or the meal offering, um, it's actually called that because most of it had to do with food, you know, it was known as the grain or the meal offering. The purpose of the grain and the meal offering was actually to worship God and acknowledge his provision. The other purpose, which we will see, you see when you read the book of Philippians, um, Philippians, and I didn't write it here, Philippians 2 verse 17, it, it, it is a meal offering. It represents how we offer our lives um, as a sacrifice um, to other people. And Paul says it. Paul says, yes. Or the other thing is the meal or the grain offering is sometimes called the drink offering. So when you read the Bible, you will sometimes find drink offering. It is the same grain meal or drink offering. But Paul says it in Philippians 2 verse 17. He says, yes. And if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I will rejoice in it. So it's something that was, it was there where, you know, you, you offer your life. It's, it's not about, uh, you acknowledge God and his provision, or you offer your life as a sacrifice to other people in order to, to worship God. And I think Paul is a perfect example of this. Um, uh, so when anyone brings Two says, actually, two verse one. Say, when everyone brings, when anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering, their offering is to be the finest flour. They are to pour olive oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. So just as there were alternatives, just as there were alternatives for the for the 
um, first offering, which is the bent offering, you could bring a pigeon or what pigeon or whatnot, the same thing applied. There were alternatives here. The rich people, they could bring fine flour, the finest of the wheat, or, or it could be baked in oven or made as, as large cakes mingled with oil. And the poor people, and it seems as if I, you know, if it was baked on a pan, because there's where they say, um, if it's not baked in an oven, it's baked on a pan, um, then it, it is, is it a, it's acceptable to come. But the one thing that I found very interesting here is that, you know, God gives three distinctive ways. He says it can be oven baked, it can be on a hot foot flat pan, or it can be on a quick pan fry. And he gives three distinctive ways to prepare the cooked sacrifice. But all this, all those um, options, they suggest freedom as to what we can offer to God. But what I find interesting is there are parameters. There are parameters. As much as you can be free, but there are parameters of, but yeah, you need to do it within these parameters. And, you know, it was a baked oven, uh, which was for the wealthy, 2.4, 2.5, you find a hot flat pan. And in 2.7, you find a quick pan fry. But, you know, I was thinking, why did God allow people to bring worship in those three ways? Yes, there was an element of, I could not afford that. But not everyone expresses worship and thanksgiving exactly the same way. Because this is, this is more of a, um, I acknowledge God in my life and the provision that he gives in my life, he gives. But not everyone expresses worship and thanksgiving the same way. So though God accepts several ways of offering the thanksgiving to him, there are parameters. He, he didn't just say, you can do as you wish. There were parameters of, um, you cannot pass this. This is the only thing that I'm accepting, you know? So God excuses no one, whether you had a frying pan, you had that, God expects each one of us to still give back. Um, and accept that he provides for us. And when you read, um, I'm trying to check here. Uh, I think it's 13. Yes, 2 verse 13. No, verse 2. It says, the, the priests will not despise the lesser offerings. The priest was not allowed to despise the lesser offerings. And the first book that came to my mind was Mark 12, when Christ said, they had offered and they all and 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 when they were watching the bible says that there was a woman that did not have much she went and she offered the little that she had and christ said to the disciples you see that woman she offered the most because she had given what she had and she had given by her heart so even the priests they were not allowed to to look at this one used the frying pan Um, uh, I'm sorry, guys, I think you lost me for a second. My network dropped, but I'm back now. So the other thing there, oh, and that which is left of the meat offering had to be eaten. The, 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 the priests, the priests could share what was left of the offer. 
ring. Alrighty, thanks. So the priest could eat what was left of the offering. Um, and in 13, there's a lot of people that have asked me why, because the, the Bible keeps on repeating that salt must be included. Salt must be, they, they, it couldn't have, it was not accepted if it didn't have flavor, if I can put it that way. It, 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 it had to be included. But when you read, you know, other sections of the Bible, uh, Chronicles 13, verse 5, um, um, Matthew 5, Mark 9, Colossians 4, you see that there was, there was something in the ancient world which was called a covenant of salt. A co oh, Numbers 18, verse 4, a covenant of salt, which, you know, it, it was as if you, you are in, you're completely in. And it was, there was a covenant which was made um, through salt. So it, it had to be there because it was a covenant between you and God. So leaven as well, it had to be leaven as well. So it's, it's 2 verse 16 tells us about, um, not 2 verse 16, the entire book of chapter two is actually about the, the meal offering and what it, it symbolized. And as you go on to the next slide, um, I think I already talked about this, the poor widow, um, yes. Yeah, I think you can go on to slide 18 um, as we go into the next one, which is the peace offering um, known as the shalom or the fellowship ever offering. So this was a party. This was sort of a party because everyone could eat. This is the only offering where everyone ate. We all came in uh, and there was a, a shalom or a peace offering. It was normally voluntary. Voluntary, but on the day of Pentecost, it was not voluntary. It is the only one of the sacrifices where everyone shared, not just the priests, not just the offerer, but the whole church shared. It was largely focused on celebration. Most people, when most of us read um, the Bible, especially Leviticus, we think it's all about sin. It had nothing. It had nothing to do with sin. It was a celebration. The other sacrifices, yes, you offer, you want God to forgive, but this one was purely to celebrate. So it was to celebrate anything that you're grateful for. When children were born, um, there was a peace offering. Um, you know, when people were happy that things were going well, there was a peace offering. And it was, it was done to worship God whenever something good happened um, in, in those people's life. It, it was everyone was invited you know not only did you sit down and eat and eat that meal as a family you usually had friends and everyone came um and you know those that study the history of of you know the jewish religion say that even to this day when there's a peace offering everyone knows about it your neighbors and everyone knows about it that there is a peace offering and we're going uh, to share, you know, so it was, it, everyone was called, even when there was deliverance, when you were saved from, you know, an illness, you had to go and give a, a peace or a shalom offering. It was, it was, it was followed. And, and look at, God made it mandatory that when there was a peace offering, it was followed by a burnt offering. So whenever you come and thank God and, and become grateful and say, 
this is what has happened in my life. The following thing was you had to offer your life as a sacrifice. So it was always followed by, you, they would start off with that um, peace offering where everyone is jovial, everyone is happy. And after that, there is a bent offering for you, the offerer, where you offer your life to Christ. And three says that, verse three says, and he shall offer the sacrifice of peace offering and offering made by fire unto the Lord. The fat that covers the inwards and all the fat that is upon the, the inwards. So the most inward parts, the tender parts belongs to God. The tender part, you did not just eat everything. The, the good parts of the animal belong to God. The, the, and the kidneys, the fat, um, the flanks, the liver, and he shall take away. So in the burnt offering, everything was spent on the altar and everything died. But in the peace offering, um, only, a, only a specific portion was sacrificed, but the best of that animal was sacrificed. And that is what God wants from us. He wants, God knows what he wants. He wants the best. And Paul cried out when you read the book of Philippians 3 verse 10. He says that I, know, that I, might, I may know him and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Talking about Christ, obviously. But it's, it, it was God wanting the best and saying you can share whatever is left. The fat one, the fat part belong to God. The priests, the priest received the breast and the shoulder. So out of that animal, the priest will receive the breast. God will receive the, the best parts and the rest belong to the church. Um, and, and just as with the Lord's Supper, we see that, you know, when you read the book of Psalm 66, um, you see that. And as you go on to the next slide, um, you see that when you read the book of, of Psalm 66, Deuteronomy 12, verse 6 and 7, where God made it clear that I want the best part. I want the best part of this. Um, and as you go on to the next slide, um, I just mentioned the instructions that were given, the clear instructions that were given when it comes to this offering. It had to be perfect, the best of your animals without blemish. It had to be personal. You had to kill it. It had to be public. It was done in front of everyone. It had to be painted. Blood was taken by a priest and it was sprinkled and it had to be proportioned. You know, the back part of the fire was given to the Lord and the rest was given to the people. So the same thing applied to our lives. God wants the best of, of us and we need to give him the best of us. Um, and as you go on to the next slide, um, I like what, what um, Guzik writes about, about the peace offering. He says that this was not an offering uh, to make peace with God. It was not an offering to make peace with God like a sin offering. But this was, it was an offering where you had to join in this peace of, of God. You, you became a part of him. You were not making peace with God, but you, you, you were allowed to enjoy the peace of God, the peace of God. And one of the biggest, when you read the book of, First Kings 8, the biggest um, peace offering was when uh, Solomon built the temple. The Bible says that he killed 22,000 cattle and he killed 120,000 sheep. And Hezekiah did the same thing, but it was not as big as Solomon. 
uh, when you read the book of Second Chronicles, he killed he killed two thousand bulls and seventeen thousand sheep. So it was a, and you could you could understand why Solomon did that. It was a way of saying, God, we thank you, God, we we thank you, and we want to do this with you. But what I like something that I want to note here before we move um, from the book from the peace offering, the other rule of the peace offering was that it had to be eaten immediately. It had to be eaten, it was quickly eaten. So the rule was the Israelites were forced because now you have a bull and you cannot finish it. You ended up sharing, you were forced. The peace offering forced people to share. It, that's why it's also called the fellowship. It forced people to go into fellowship. So it was, God said it can't be kept for more than, I think you, could, you couldn't, on the next day, the Bible says that it shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burnt up. If any of it was not eaten on the third day, it was no longer accepted as edible. So it, God forced them to, to share with each other. God forced them to get to a point where we need to do this together. And this shows you the, important of fellow, the importance of fellowship. It shows you the importance of fellowship with other people at church, especially at church. And it's, it's one of the things when you read the book of Ephesians 2, you know, um, where, 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 where Paul says the whole building is fitted together and growing into a holy temple of the Lord, where he's saying everyone must just come together for this to happen. So the, the fellowship offering forced people to share. And God has left us a model. He has left us a model of how things can work in fellowship. And you find it when you read chapter three, what were the requirements of fellowship and coming together as a church or as, an, as a congregation? There were rules that were put in place and that helps them stay together. That forced them to share, that forced them to, to be in a relationship with each other because that is what Christ came for. And as you go on to the next slide, which is the sin offering, the longest one. When you read chapter four, you'll realize that it's one of the longest ones. It even goes to chapter five. It's clear. It's clear what the sin offering is about. You, you offer when you have sinned, but it was not for every sin. It was not for every sin. So when you read um, the Bible, you will find it says that they were sweet offering and non-sweet savior offerings. And this is one of them where, where, where the Bible says it was not a very sweet offering to God because um, when there was a sin, you were required to go through this. So there were certain things, there were certain things that you used to since which you had to go for this sin offering. If you heard about something, and, and you failed to testify. If you heard about something and you failed to testify to save another person, it was, it was not enough just to say, I didn't lie. There was a sin of not telling the truth when you know the truth. If you touch something unclean, and you will see when we go into cleanliness and uncleanliness, if you touch another that is, that is ceremonially unclean, you had to go through that process. If you make a vow, and an oath that you do not follow, you had to go through the sin offering. So anyone that was 
guilty of, of all this had to go through the sin offering. But there is a, there is a rule there. The sin had to be unintentional. It was not on all sins that had to go through the offering. It had to be unintentional. It was not me going and doing something and then deciding to do it and then saying, yeah, anyway, it's over. It was not that. The unintentional sin, it had to go under the burnt offering where you say, I am giving up, I am giving, I'm sacrificing my life again. That was the unintentional sin. But where you, the intentional sin, sorry, but where it was something that happened and you were found to be guilty because you knew about it and you did not go and save the other, then that sin had to go under. The unintended sin that crept in was what went under the sin offering. So God speaks to Moses. He says, speak unto the children of Israel. And this is two. Speak unto the children of Israel saying, if a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, you shall do against them. So he, he starts saying what needs to be done. So the emphasis is on a sin that is done through ignorance. If you did it deliberately, this offering was not available for you. It was not available for you. So the, the, the is, if, if it was intentional, it had to go under the, the bent offering. If we sin willfully after we have received knowledge, and I'm, I'm reading, sorry, I'm reading from the book of Hebrews, and you can see I noted it, Hebrews 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. That's why I say you won't be able to understand Hebrews. 27 says, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. 28, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the son of God underfoot and who has treated an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace. So Paul explains, he explains that uh, this was only available. It was only available when it was um, done in, in, if you, you were ignorant about it. And as you, the last part is the chapter actually breaks it down. It talks about the high priest. It talks about the whole community. So there were scenes of the high priest. There were scenes of the whole community. When we seen as a community, there were scenes of civic leaders. And I would say in our world, is, uh, it can be the president, but someone that is ruling and has been given power by God. And there were scenes of individuals you know, your rears of this world, how that was done. And if a priest, if you go on to the next slide, it starts with priests and it says, if a priest sins, they got the biggest punishment. They had to bring a bull. It was the sin of a priest was considered first because he was in a position of leadership. And if he was wrong, then it messed up the people as well. So if a sin, if a priest sinned, it, they had to bring a bull, the most valuable animal of them all. And I just want to say privilege carries responsibility. 
But I noted the book of James and can go on to the next slide. I noted the book of James 3 verse 1, where it says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And James was saying, uh, um, most of the people walk around saying we've been called. Those that say they are called, they are judged more strictly because they, the people are looking up to them. So the top, the top leader's disobedience was, is noted in the book of chapter 4, 1 to 12. You will find it. God begins with the leadership and he says, if this happens, this is what must happen. Um, and the, the horn was recognized as a, as a, as a symbol of power. Um, so the sin had to be forgiven and the fellowship was resolved. So when you go on to the next one, it's the sin of the congregation. This is when we sin as a church, not a church, but a, a congregation. So there were times when um, as a group, we overlooked things and it became a communal sin. And that is happening today in churches where we overlook things and, and we have a communal scene. And I noted the book of, I think I didn't note it there, but Revelations 18 verse 4, where, where, you know, John talks about the churches and how certain churches are sinning as a group, you know, as, as, a, com, com, as a group, they're all doing the same thing, but which is something wrong against, you know, the word of God. And God judged against that. Um, but what I find interesting with the sin of the church, he said, he, he put rules there, the timing, when it, must, when, they, when it is known, it must be acted upon immediately. And that speaks to a, to a church that does not, or a congregation that does not recognize that something is wrong and, and you know, deal with it immediately. And God said, if you find that thing and it's wrong, something must be done immediately responsibility there's responsibility there because God talks about the leaders must lead they must stand up and lead where people have wronged against God and there was also restoration where God said after all this must done they must come back to me the sins will be forgiven they must come back to me and usually what followed was the burnt offering where they will go as a group and say Lord we have sinned against you and now we want you to forgive us and when you look at um, the ruler, the next slide, um, it, it is just the ruler, which I call the president. Um, you know, they, they had, the responsibility was different. The punishment was different from the priest, but they were also, their punishment was a little bit harsher than the individual person because the leaders were, were known to be chosen by God. So the sins of the leaders were, were it was a little bit more than what would happen to an, an individual. And the common people, um, for the common or the private citizen area, um, any sin against the commandment of the God of law of the of God, um, the sin was even way less because it was an, an unblemished female goat um, or a female lamb. So it was it was not as harsh. And as we go on to the next slide, we'll close off with a minute left with uh, the guilt offering. The guilt offering is very much similar. Um, to the sin offering, but the guilt offering, yes, it also had to go with unintentional, but this was used whenever holy things were used in an unholy way, whenever the holy things of God, and most pastors use sex before marriage, 
for, for the guilt offering because even in Israel, it was, it was something like that where holy things meant for marriage, that's just an example, was used outside what God intended it for. And, and the guilt offering was offered in cases where the sin was done privately. No, those sins that no one knows about where it's just you. It was those sins that had to go through the guilt offering. Um, you know, it even has to do with where you testified wrongly. I mean, that scene is between you and God, where you testified wrongly against someone else and lied and did not tell the truth. You had to go through the, the guilt offering. Um, so as much as, but what I want to note before we close is God made it a law that even when you, you go before the priest and offer a guilt offering, you were not entirely forgiven until you went back to the person that you wronged and make peace with them. You were required to have to make restitution, restitution with the injured party. And it applies today. Most of us cry in our corners and say, God, forgive me, but you leave the other person still feeling hurt and angry and all that. But there was a rule that if you go and give a guilt offering, you still need to go and make restitution with the party that you've injured because you need to fix that relationship as well. And God is very clear about fixing the relationship with people on this earth before we even go to the next, to, to him. Christ says it, Christ says it. He says um, in Mark, in the book of Matthew 5, verse 23, if you are about to go to God and give your offering, and you remember that I have wronged my brother. Christ says, leave that offering wherever it is and go look for your brother. Fix things with your brother. Reconcile with your brother before you offer to me. So the, the requirement is you cannot make it right with God if you're not making, making it right with the people on earth. The poorest of the poor were not left out in all the sacrifices. There is no reason enough. There is no reason enough to say I cannot offer a sacrifice because even the poor person, God said, if they cannot bring a bed, they must bring a piece of, a, a piece of bread. If they don't have oil, they can bring that frankincense uh, thingy, um, scent. But God did not say if you don't have... The intention was that every person, every person must still go before God and offer. So as I close today, I just want to say, don't look at the book of Leviticus. Don't look at the book of Leviticus and look for, I don't have to take a goat to church. I don't have to take a, a bird to church. Um, I, I don't have to do it in public. Look at the principle. What is God saying? Look at the bent offering. What is God saying about offering our bodies as a sacrifice? Look at the grain offering. Do we always give back the glory to God? Do we always thank him for the things that he does in our lives? Look at the fellowship. Do we fellowship enough in churches? Do we share enough? Do we give to those that don't have? Look at the sin offering, the, the unintentional sins, the sins that we forgive ourselves for because 
I mean, I mean, you know, I didn't know. Not knowing was not an excuse. The minute you find out, you had to go. And look at the, the, the guilt, sacrifice, the guilt offering. Look at the guilt offering. Do we, do we go back to God when we have used his holy things in an unholy way? Do we make it right with the people around us or we only deal with, I will, I will deal with the issues that I have and leave everything out. Look at the book of Leviticus and I'm encouraging each one of us to go back and study chapter one to seven and you will pick up things about what God is saying about worship because the principle still applies. This was God's word to Moses. This is how they must do it. He gave a blueprint of what he defines as a, as a sacrifice, as worship to him. And we need to, we need to try by all means not to water down, you know, the holy things of God and say, it doesn't apply to us. It does, if you look at the principle. And I will, let us bow our heads as I pray. Father, I come before you this evening. I thank you for allowing us to study your word. Because Father, if you had not allowed us to do this, it would not have happened. I ask you, Father, that you give meaning to books like the book of Leviticus. I ask you, Father, that you reveal yourself to us and, and show us what you meant. Show us what you meant. Show us what you wanted us to learn from your word. Because you have said it in your word that everything that is written in the holy book is for us to learn and to walk better with you and Christ. I ask you, Father, that you increase the love for the word because this is the only way in which we can know you better when we read and understand how you work. Help us, Father, to stay in your temple. Help us, Father, to keep the holy things holy. Help us, Father, to remind, to remind ourselves, remind us every day in the morning when we wake up that this is a sacrifice and we will continue choosing you each and every day. Thank you, Lord, for this session and bless everyone that has joined this session. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Back to you, Sunday. Thank you so much, Ria, for that informative session. And thank you for taking us through the different kinds of offerings and their purposes and meanings. And I think that the key principle that we have taken away from tonight's session is that um, we now understand that when we offer our sacrifices and our lives when worshiping God, there are certain conditions under which we must do so. And these conditions are according to God's terms and not ours. Uh, I would like to thank everyone who joined us in tonight's session. And if you are not in the WhatsApp group chat as yet, please just check the chat for the link. Um, that's where you'll get um, communication from the AIC team with regards to presentations and uh, future um, sessions. And uh, please enjoy the rest of the week. And God bless you all. Oktola.